0: Glad you're here, everybody. Hey, you know, I saw this research done recently, uh, an expansive survey just recently on uh, all kinds of churchgoers. Do you know the number one reason that people use as an excuse not to be in church? Bad weather. Do you know the number two reason people use as an excuse not to be in church? Good weather. I always pray for medium weather, and if this is medium weather, I don't know, but I'm glad you're here. I thank God for you. I love you. Those of I tried to start in your section next week, you guys. I didn't get to greet you personally. I thank God for you, and I love you. Those joining us online, we love you guys and are grateful to have you with us. Chickens. (laughs) Um, If you're here for the first time, man, we are delighted that God has brought you. You've caught us in a Christmas series called seemingly insignificant. And I'd like for God to speak to your heart. I want you to have a very profound and deeply personal experience of his love. And so we're gonna ask him to do that right now before we start, if you would pray with me. Let's bow together. Father God, you are amazing that you would be willing to speak to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, by the truth of your word, in the name of Jesus. We are grateful. Speak now, give us ears to hear, eyes to see you, Lord, and hearts to respond to your word in Jesus' name, amen. Here's my upfront question. Uh, Do you know the secret of living an extraordinary life? I discovered the secret years ago when I read a little extraordinary uh, book. This book is incredible. It sold over 50 million copies It's been translated into 185 different languages. I'm not talking about the Bible, though this book is full of scripture. I mean, the Bible has sold over 6 billion copies, and it's been translated into over 700 different languages. The book I'm talking about is Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life. And this mega bestseller The opening sentence gives away the secret to an extraordinary life. Are you ready? Here's the opening sentence of the purpose-driven life. It's not about you. Our culture today (laughs) can find that a little offensive because we want it to be about me. Hey, it's my life. It's got to be about me. I have to be the star of my own life. Why can't it be about me? Because that's the secret of living a miserable life, a less, a way less than ordinary life. In fact, I'd like for us to personalize this uh, this morning so that it just becomes part of your nature. You get it tattooed on your soul. Um, We'll make it as personal as possible. I'll say, it's not about me. And you say after me, it's not about me. Are you ready? It's not about me. My life, your life, it's not, about me. it's not about me. I want you to go home this afternoon, just having that truth reverberating in your brain. Get to your heart. It's not about me. This afternoon, this evening, when your head hits a pillow at night, I just want you to whisper up to the heavens Lord, it's not about me. Yeah, it's all about Jesus. Now the Christmas story captures the heartbeat of that message, that truth, it's not about me. I mean, consider the fact that Jesus is God without beginning, without end, creator God, who who created all that is, all the earth, all the sky, all the sea, all that's in them, so that nothing is too difficult for Jesus. And yet he was willing to give up his majesty, his splendor, his glory, and come to earth as a flesh and blood baby saying to the Father, God the Son, saying to God the Father, it's not about me. I'll go to earth for Danielle and CJ. I'll go to earth for Bree. I'll go to earth for Sean, Carl. I'll go to earth. I'll go to earth for everyone. It's not about me. The Christmas story does not begin um, once upon a time. It begins like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's kind of a a weird beginning. Sounds more like a soap opera than the Bible. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's kind of a weird start to the Christmas story. And yet, if you understand that the author, Luke, is putting down side by side for our examination, for our analysis, two stories of two miraculous pregnancies. The first is Elizabeth. She's six months pregnant with a baby boy who would become John the Baptist. A 14-year-old girl, Mary, is about to become pregnant with Jesus, who would be the son of the living God. Now, Elizabeth's pregnancy is has a three-fold miracle to it. Number one, her husband, Zacharias, is older than dirt. Ain't, this guy ain't, this dude ain't gonna get nobody pregnant. Number two, um, there's something royally wrecked in Elizabeth's womb. It is impossible for her to conceive and have a baby. And, And number three, Elizabeth is 88 years old. I mean, menopause is like she can't even see it in her rearview mirror, but she smiles as she pats her six-month baby bump, standing in line at the Jerusalem Walmart and buys diapers and the pins at the same time. It's a miracle. Um, but then we get this clue, this big. Biblical clue that something extraordinary beyond Elizabeth is about to unfold in the 14 year old teenage girl, Mary. Look at the text. The Word of God says that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, Gabriel. No, this is huge, because Gabriel, literally, his job is to stand in the very presence of God, moment by moment, for eternity. He only appears three rare times in the Bible. First time was 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Gabriel appears to the man of God, Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den, that Daniel? He appears to Daniel for the purpose of announcing 500 years in advance that Jesus would be born. The Messiah is coming, the anointed one of God. Then 15 months before the birth of Jesus, Gabriel appears to Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, brings two messages, secondary message, your wife's gonna get pregnant. And the primary message, the Messiah is coming. And now, He appears to Mary, and here's the word of God. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. It's no place, it's nowhere. Um, I've been there a number of times. Uh, It's a city now, not a village. 98% Muslim, 2% uh, Christian, it's a great place uh, to go. But in the day of Mary and Joseph, it was a town of about 300 people who were kind of indirectly related to each other. It was, it was totally insignificant. And Nazareth is in Galilee. I love Galilee, beautiful place, but it, uh, the reason I love it is because I'm a hillbilly and hillbillies live there. It's an insignificant region, basically based on farming and fishing. So Gabriel, God sends Gabriel to Nazareth, no place, nowhere in Galilee to a virgin, a 12 year old girl who has never had sexual relations with a man. Any, any of you, any, any girls here 14? Any 14-year-olds this morning? Okay, one, one 14-year-old girl. Um, but this girl was in the first century. She didn't know anything about smartphones, computers, video games, smart TVs, and if you do, talk to me after the service because I'm clueless. <laughs> but can you imagine a first-century 14-year-old girl She's never had sexual relations with a man, but she is engaged, isn't that wild? Would you be engaged? Would you say yes to somebody proposed marriage? She's engaged, that was, that's not common today for 14 year old girls, but that was a common practice in the day of Mary, so she's engaged. And engagement then was not like engagement today. Anybody here, don't raise your hands, but have you ever been a part of a broken engagement? Did somebody take back the ring or did you give back the ring? Well, in the day of Mary and Joseph, engagement was as legally binding as marriage. The only way to break an engagement was by divorce. And Mary is engaged. Here's the text. The scripture says that she was engaged to a man, to be married to a man uh, named Joseph. Now, Joseph is a seemingly insignificant guy, engaged to a seemingly insignificant 14-year-old girl. Joseph, he's a blue-collar worker, wears a hard hat to work, carries a lunch pail, makes his living by the strength and skill of his own hands. In this extraordinary moment, the angel of God who stands in the very presence of God, except these three times when he's been sent to planet Earth, he says, he greets Mary. He says, Gabriel says, greetings you who are highly Favored. Say favored. 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 Say it again. Favored. Favored. Friends, this is not just the key to understanding the meaning of this story. It's the key to understanding the meaning of your life. Greetings, you who are... Highly favored, the Lord is with you. In fact, if Gabriel, if God would send him a fourth time to another obscure place like Beloit, Wisconsin, among regular, everyday, ordinary people like you and I. If Gabriel would show up right here, right now today, after a few of you fainted and I wet my pants. No, if Gabriel showed up here today, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've been baptized, If you've named Jesus as your Lord, then you belong to Jesus. And Gabriel would say, he would look into your heart, look into your eyes, look into your soul, and say to you the same thing he said to Mary. He would say, you are highly favored. And the Lord is with you. God is with you. God is for you. That's the truth about you. Now, this fact that Mary is highly favored, does that mean that in some way, in any way, She is extra special? No, because the same is true of you if you belong to Jesus. You see, it's not about how good Mary is, it's about how good God is. Living an extraordinary life is not about how special you are, it's about how special and extraordinary God is. It's about his favor. Now that word favor appears two times in this little conversation but it only appears one other time in all the Bible. And to understand what Gabriel means in this conversation, you gotta look at this other instance. When this Greek word kerata, it appears in Galatians 6.1, and here's the word of God. We praise God for the glorious grace. There's the same word. Favor and grace are the same Greek word just translated by two different English words. They mean the very same thing. And the grace of God is the, the, how what he bestows on anyone. Look at this. We praise God. We can't help but sing him. Sing to him. We can't help but thank him. We can't help but worship God for the glorious grace he has poured out. Not that he has dribbled out. Not that he has drizzled out. He pours it out in extravagance. He lavishly pours out his grace on whom? On us who belong to his own dear son. So if you belong to Jesus, if you've been baptized, if you've named him as Savior and Lord, if you believe that Jesus is God who died for your sins and rose from the dead, you belong to Jesus and you become the target of God's lavish grace. (laughs) Thought I was on a golf course there for a second. Um, This blows Mary away, 14 years old, 14 years old, not a 21st century 14 year, a first century 14 year old girl. This staggers her. Look at the word of God. Scripture says, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could possibly mean. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. Man, I can't tell you how desperately I need it and how often God says it to me. I'm praying that he says it to my Debbie in her Alzheimer's. My mom, my mom is 91, severe arthritis. The plan was that she would go to my brother's house for Thanksgiving, but she was in such discomfort she couldn't envision a car ride. So she stayed home. My, my, my prayer is that she hears God whispering over her soul. Don't be afraid. My eye doctor gave me Worst news possible about my eyes Um, this week. Got to have surgery coming up, but the but the the eyesight is diminishing even more severely. I used to be able to drive to church and home at night. They would allow me that. Nope, no driving. I got special glasses to wear. If you see me driving during the daytime, dive for the sidewalk. (laughs) But God says, don't be afraid. I'm a type one diabetic. If I screw up the amount of insulin that goes in, whether it's too much or too little, it could be fatal. God said, don't be afraid. Um, got to see a liver doctor tomorrow. Something's screwed up there. And I'm just like, oh God, I got to live. I got to take care of my Debbie. Who's going to take care of my Debbie if I'm not her primary caregiver? And God says, David, don't be afraid. I want you to hear those words. We all have struggles. I've got my problems, you've got your problems. We all have difficulties. Our hearts get broken. Life throws us a terrible curve. The rug is pulled up from under us and we are thrown into an emotional tizzy. But in that tizzy, whatever the struggle, God is trying to get your attention to tell you, don't be afraid. God is with you in the diabetes. God is with you in the dying eyesight. God is with you in the Alzheimer's. God is with you in the rheumatism. God is with you in the arthritis. God is with you in your struggle. Don't be afraid. You see, that is the story of Christmas. That is the story of Christmas because God came to earth to be with us, to be one of us, don't be afraid. And the angel told her for you have found favor with God. There's that second use of that word. Um, And Mary being favored, I hope you don't think that meant that she would live a problem-free, pain-free life. Her life from that point forward was a life of a series of severe struggles. I mean, once it's found out that she's pregnant and begins to show the ugly gossip, the ugly rumors, In her town, people talking by her behind her back, people talking to her face, telling her that if she really loved God, she wouldn't be pregnant. It gets so bad in the ninth month of her pregnancy that she just seizes the opportunity to leave town with her fiance Joseph. I mean, it's a 70 mile trek from Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south, 70 miles. Nine months pregnant and 70 miles on the back of a donkey. Nine months pregnant, I feel bad for the donkey. My wife has been nine months pregnant, I feel sorry for Joseph. They camp all the way to Bethlehem, and when they get to Bethlehem, is it easy living? No room. They're in a cave, a cave where animals are kept. And so it's not a sterile setting like a hospital, it's a scent of animal leavings and she gives birth to the baby there and he is laid in an animal feeding trough. Eight days later, they take baby Jesus to the house of God for him to be dedicated to the Lord. And while they're there, a man of God looks Mary in the eyes and tells her in no uncertain detail how her son, this little baby is gonna be cruelly rejected by all of his people. And then he says to Mary, and you, a sword, will pierce your soul. And, and then they have to flee, right? Remember that part of the story? They have to run for their lives. They grab their baby. They grab each other. They have to run to Egypt. Finally, they end up back in Nazareth. But 14 years after the birth of Jesus, Joseph dies. Mary's 28 years old. She's a grieving widow. She's She's a single mom of a whole parcel of kids and when Jesus turns 30 and enters his ministry after his baptism she is deeply concerned for his life because on numerous occasions people pick up rocks to to kill him. One time she is concerned for Jesus' sanity. She thinks he's like one french fry short of a happy meal. Um, Seriously, she thinks he's crazy and she goes to get him to take him home. That That's her life, alone and concerned for her son. And then she has a front row seat at the cross, where her son is stripped naked, humiliated, spat upon. His face has been beaten beyond recognition. She can see that his beard was pulled out by the roots. And she has to watch as for six hours, he suffers an excruciating agony and until he breathes his last breath. Mary, being highly favored of God, did not spare her from heartache any more than it does me or that it will you. But God was with her, with her at the foot of the cross, with her at the tomb when her son was born, with her in the temple when she gets the bad news. Same is true for us. You see, grace, the grace of God for us is not about living a problem-free, pain-free life. Grace is being able, in the midst of the problems, to live a purpose-filled life. That was Jesus. That's gotta be me, that's gotta be my Debbie, that's gotta be my mom, that's gotta be you. In the midst of the struggle, the grace of God allows us to have meaning and purpose sustaining us, carrying us when we can't carry ourselves. And so just to clear out the cobwebs, whatever there might've been in Mary's mind, here's what the angel says to her. Here's the deal, you will conceive. He doesn't say that you will have sexual relationships with Joseph or anybody, you're just gonna conceive. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. In those five sentences, we get five truths about Jesus. We learn more about Jesus in those five sentences than we'll get information about Mary in her entire life. Here's the truths. About Jesus. In fact, you gotta know the secret to living an extraordinary life is not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Here are the truths about Jesus. Number one, his name will be the name above all names. Jesus, say Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, in the name of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Say Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, the name of Jesus pushes back the darkness. The name of Jesus, say Jesus. The name of Jesus sends the demons fleeing back into hell. There is no name like the name of Jesus for healing, for rescue, for deliverance. Jesus! Okay. Look, the second truth we get, Jesus is the goat. He is the greatest of all time because of his unlimited authority and his unlimited power. Third, Jesus is the son of the most high God. Fourth, Jesus is the King of Kings, fifth. Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever without end. Mary, 14 years old, hears this announcement about herself and about her future baby. And all she can say is, uh, without sleeping with a man? I don't get it. How does this work? Here's what Mary says. She says, but how? How does this work? I've never slept with a man. Now Gabriel, he gets kinda all angel giddy and he answers Mary's question this way. Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now as we go through this text, look, see if you can identify the three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is first. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That means the Holy Spirit will take a seed of God and plant it in the egg of a 14-year-old woman. And that divine human union will create life, a holy life, the son of the living God. And then what happens? The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit takes the seed of God, plants it in the egg of a 14-year-old girl, and then God touches this divine human union. God blesses this divine human union so that Jesus is born. Jesus, God, come to earth through human birth, fully God and fully man, all at the same time, making him the only qualified candidate to live the purpose of God, die on the cross for our sins, and be risen from the dead. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby, now this is Jesus born to you, will be holy, he will be holy God, and he will be called the Son of God. And now, before Mary can like raise her hand and ask another question, the uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the angel Gabriel caps off the deal this way. He says, hey, six months ago, your relative Elizabeth know her, 88 years old, the barren one, they called her. Well, she became pregnant in her old age. Every promise of God shall surely come true. And that's not just for Mary. That's that's for me with my struggles. That's for my Debbie and her struggles. That's for my mom and her struggles. That's for you and your struggles. Every promise of God will surely come true. There are thousands of promises. And I don't have... Time to go for even a, a dent in them, but could I give you just the promises Jesus made from the cross? His dying words and that, that means a lot to me has a profound impact on my trust in him. But, but also, I, I'm, I'm gonna reference a promise he made when he is resurrected. Because now, now he has conquered hell, death, and the grave. Now he has authority over all things. And in, with this authority over all things, he makes you and I promise that is unbreakable. Let's begin with the cross. Jesus is dying. And in his dying, he promises your forgiveness. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. And that promise is for you, that all your sins, all your past sins, when Jesus is your savior who died to pay for your sins, took your place, all the punishment he received was the punishment I deserve for my sins, punishment you deserve for your sins. But by that punishment, by his shed blood on the cross, we are fully forgiven of all of our past sins, all of our present sins, even all of our future sins, because when Jesus died on the cross, all our sins were future. Uh, Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What's his number one benefit? He forgives all your sins. It goes on to say, he doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. He doesn't repay you according to your iniquity. But as high as the heaven is above the earth, so great is his love for those that obey him. Notice that every promise of God comes with a precept. His promise His love is great. The precept, you obey him and become the target of his love. And as far as east is from west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you, he takes your sins and hides them behind his back so he can't see them. He sweeps them away like the morning mist. He buries them in the deepest sea. He forgives and forgets all your sins. This is why the worst sinner in the history of the world received this challenge. What are you waiting for? Get up and get yourself baptized scrub clean from all those sins and get yourself personally acquainted with God. In fact, Jesus, after his resurrection, before he ascends into heaven, in Mark sixteen sixteen, he says, anyone who believes, believes what? Believes that Jesus is God, who died on the cross for our sins and God raised from the dead. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Peter preached it this way, on the day the church was born, Peter, Peter said, change your life, turn to God and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? So your sins are forgiven. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the promise of sins forgiven, there's the precept of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's a great promise from the cross. Here was a second promise. Uh, Maybe you think it's not so great. Jesus said, I thirst. The Son of God is in such anguish, but in such weakened state that he cannot meet his most basic human need. He has to beg to have his thirst slaked. It's a promise to us that though we have God's grace and that God is with us, we are going to go through some heartbreaking struggles. Everybody does. Mine look like caring for my Debbie. It's like maybe Friday morning we were out and she thought I was her her dad. Now by the afternoon, the fog had cleared. But I just say, I thirst. I thirst, Jesus, I thirst. Because you, me, my Debbie, my mom will all be in circumstances that are beyond our control when it's, it could be people we love, it could be us that face serious struggle, and we just got to turn to God, and say, "I thirst, I thirst because you know what he does i, I don 't want to tell you what they did to Jesus um, i've said it in every other service, but I got to preach less, but I will tell you that when you say to God, "I thirst, he fills you with the holy spirit it 's like a, a fountain that bubbles up within you and overflows. But that's not the last words of Jesus on the cross. Not just about our pain and our problems. Here are the last words of Jesus on the cross, and they are a sign of ultimate and inevitable victory for us. Triumph. Jesus it is finished. Notice he didn't say, I'm finished. He's come back from the dead. He's, He's ascending to the right hand of God where he's praying for you moment by moment. He said, It is finished. His work is finished. His mission is finished. His purpose is finished. His, he is finished doing the will of God by dying for our sins. But he didn't say, I'm finished because he's coming back. He's coming out of that grave. He's triumphed. He conquered hell, death, and the grave and gives us that resurrection life. It is finished. So how do you respond? How do you respond? Mary responded by saying, it's not about me. Mary said, I belong to the Lord, body and soul. It's not about me, it's about the Lord. I belong to the Lord, body and soul. May everything you have said about me come true. May everything you've said about me come true. May everything that you've said about my marriage, may everything you've said about my health challenges, may everything you've said about my emotional challenges, my mental health issues, may everything you have said about me come true. May everything you have said about my parenting, about my children, my grandchildren, may everything that you have said about, I belong to the Lord, body and soul. May all your promises come true in my life. I thirst. The Lord is with me don 't be afraid it 's all about jesus it 's not about you it 's not about me. Would you stand with me i 'd like to pray a blessing over you right now and um, after my prayer i 'm going to you 're invited to come to the the front for personal prayer. Some of you have already prayed with as I was greeting you, but if you need a touch of God anywhere in your life, you just come to the front. Jake's preaching in Janesville this weekend, um, so you got the second string, me. And, but I, I would love to pray over you. I'll have other people down here to help me pray uh, with you. And if you want to be baptized, if you want to share with Jesus fully in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, um, I'll help you with that spiritual experience. But let me pray over you all now. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father and our God, thank you for the promise. Thank you for whispering over our soul, do not be afraid. And we just whisper back, Lord, I thirst, help me. I can't help myself. I'm clueless and I'm powerless. It's not about me, Lord. Let all the promises of God come true in my life in the lives of these gathered here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.